Hello, lovely humans, lovers, happy season three finale. If you have listened to every episode of this anecdotal research passion project shared to make the world a sexier, more loving place, that means that we have made it through three seasons of 69 episodes each, and it is time to take a break, because there is some deep-dive hierarchy sexploration research that needs doing. Educational smut I need to create. Erotic bucket list items for me to cross off, document, and share. Also, if you know anyone who is already doing educational bucket list porn, please tell me. There are sci-fi sex ed and wiggle-tastic body-positive musicals to finish writing, panties to sell, feet to take pictures of, surrogacy programs to apply to, and I cannot do all of those things and keep producing sex stories. It's a full-time job for funsies in the background, so I am now applying my producing skills to my art projects until hopefully the slutty ones can sustain a production team that's not just me and Kimberly. If you are afraid that you will miss me and you want to hang out on a weekly live stream during the interim where we deeply explore sex stories questions, or if you are curious and want to be privy to the behind-the-scenes secrets that I am exploring, go join Patreon. So, it has been just over four years of sex stories, five since I initially embarked upon the project in February 2018, and in this episode I will be resharing and adding to my own sex stories because I've learned and experienced and grown so much, and I have been super inspired by pretty much every conversation that I've had with any of you out there who I've talked to. The more of you I talk to, the more I get to hear how many different versions and varieties and flavors of desires and appreciations and enjoyments that there are. And that has led me to be even more curious. And it's also taught me a lot about my own brain, and it has inspired my very long very naughty bucket and wish list, and a very big sexy project list that you have heard snippets of that I suspect will make the world a sexier, more loving place and take the rest of my time on this planet to create. We'll see how far I get. And my next experiment is to gather funds for it all by exploring and capturing and sharing my bucket list cross-offs. And if you want those details, again, go join that secret after-party tier on Patreon. In my perfect world, Mission 69 dovetails with the chain of education and erotic museum workshop play spaces with educational offerings for both adults and children on the weekdays, and on the weekends, those creation spaces also host the best regular afternoon delight parties ever, making all of our sexy orgy fantasies come true, and educating us in the process. So, these are my updated sex stories, plus... A little bit of a peek about what was happening behind the scenes in my own sex life over the last four years. If I had to rate myself on a sexual shame-o-meter, with one being shameless to ten being so full of shame, where do I fall right now? Well, I am still trying to understand shame. I feel like I am a native zero insofar as I'm not shy or ashamed of things, most things naturally. Maybe that's true for all of us. And, but, I still find myself squiggling into very funny shapes conversationally, especially when I'm trying to guess other people's comfort level shame-wise. So especially when it's a new person, especially when I don't know if I have permission to say a thing. Because through talking to guests on pod, along with all of the other conversations that I have had as a result of the, like, sexy conversation vortex I've created, you know, when I'm like, I host a sex podcast, people are like, oh, let me tell you my things especially when I say I like sex stories, which is my favorite. So I am hyper aware of unknowns 
And until I know that I'm in a place where the person I'm talking to wants to talk about sexy things, which I can really only tell once they start doing that or asking me questions, I tend to behave as if I am talking to someone like they're a 10. So then I have these like in-between behaviors where I'm like, I host a sex podcast. And maybe I'm like projecting or mirroring like an eight or a nine to try to make other people comfortable, even though they might be a two. I don't know. Still figuring that one out. So shame a meter by myself with partners, definitely a zero. With friends I know and trust, definitely a zero. With strangers, it's like a scary unknown wiggle 10. <laughs> what is my sex life like right now? <laughs> Overall, very weird. Now, I will say my self-pleasure game is pretty amazing, and I live a fairly constantly turned-on life, which is on the up-and-up because of my art projects, and I am really, really, really excited about the solo stuff that I have been exploring, and I'm also planning to explore, and I'm now planning to document and record for you guys. Partner-wise, it has only gotten increasingly weird over the last four years since I started Sex Stories, though I do suspect some of that is the wiggly shame meter expectation that I'm creating and the anticipation that I have of others' shame, which I also have encountered when I haven't anticipated. So it's almost like I'm overcorrecting instead of just being like, I'm fine, I'm me all the time. I can do that like maybe 70 or 80% of the time. And then there's certain days where I'm like, what if they, what, what if, what if? So that is shifting still in progress. I have had lots of great casual sex since my former master and I split for good about a year and a half ago. Details of that will be available. It's a little too much to get into here. And the more that I have been meeting and talking to people and sex workers who are in great, supportive, long-term relationships that include partners who love sharing each other, the more hope I have that I can find someone who is a good fit for me. So overall, yes, I'm orgasming a lot. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of sexploration. And I think it's about to get a lot better as I make conscious, open efforts and invite people to cross off bucket list items with me. I am very excited. What do I love most about my sex life right now? Well, I love that I am consciously choosing exactly what I want. And I am refining that pretty much every day at this point. These past few years, I have been prioritizing my desires in ways that I really always dreamed of, but never for some reason thought I actually would. I don't know, I thought like, well, I guess it just can't happen or I need someone else to make it happen. So even if I cannot control who comes into my life and when, and I can't control how long they stay, I do feel like that the more that I just keep going down the path of being very, very clear about exactly what I want and sharing that, even if I am a particular flavor and not all of me is for everyone, I'm learning that's just fine, there are lots of smaller or short-term overlaps, and I think that it's only a matter of time before I find a dominant, horny genius who deeply pays attention to me and is excited to use me in just the ways that I want to be used. And I'm really excited to connect with my next long-term muse. What is sexy to me? I have lots of ways to answer this question. I know people are like, oh, that's so hard. It is. It's hard. And especially if you are a person like me that wants to be very, very thorough all the time, there are so many ways. Okay, so first, what I find sexy in other people is someone who is incredibly clear about their desire. To me, clarity is when actions and words align. I am a pattern tracker. My brain is a pattern tracking brain. And the hardest part about people 
for me is the mixed signals that they send. So they're like saying this, but they're doing that. And then they're giving off another signal. I think consent is very sexy. And but I think our society is pretty confused when it comes to what that actually means. And I have noticed what I've started to think of as unconscious kinks. So after talking to hundreds of people pretty deeply at this point about sex, because I talked to lots of people off pod as well, I noticed that in our society, convincing and persuasion are often extremely normalized. And in fact, they're a big part of a lot of romantic comedies. I noticed that when both people are aligned in desire in real life, the game is fun. It's hot. It's sexy. People like it. People like getting pressured or sort of like manipulated into what they actually want. And when two people are not aligned in desire, that's when we get into rapey situations at the most extreme. Or in a more casual setting, that's when it's like, ugh, he's creepy. And it's like, all right, so the difference between him being creepy and not creepy is that you like that one, but you don't like that one. But the behavior can be exactly the same. I find that difficult and confusing and not sexy. So a lot of that is very, very confusing for my very literal mind. And I want a clear communicator who is able to verbally and physically express their desire in alignment. That is what sexual confidence looks like to me. So if you look at me in the eyes like you want me, if you say words that imply or maybe build on the same thing, that doesn't have to be literal, but it's like it's got to match. And then maybe you show me with every single gesture, touch and framing of every event of your desires and they're consistent with our agreements and you're also checking in with me to see what my reactions are like to make sure that I like it. Partners who collaborate on safer sex conversations with me so that it feels so easy. If I am with a penis owner, they got to be my teammate in making sure that the condom stays on. I still have not had an issue with a vagina owner pushing my boundaries. We keep our laurels on real easily. But regardless of whatever body part my partner has, what is sexy is someone who would never ever dream of negotiating up during a scene or a play session, meaning that beyond what we've already agreed to in our initial negotiation, discussion, conversation, they stick to that. If I want more, maybe they make me wait. I actually had a very explicit no with a guy I was dating last year. We had agreed to do just hand stuff until we'd gotten testing results back. And I got so turned on that I was like, what if I just put you in my mouth? What if I just hopped on top of you? And he was like, no, we agreed that we're waiting tonight. And I knew that he wanted to go farther. Initially, he was like, whatever you want. And I said, this is what I want. And so he stuck to that and he helped me stick to that while still being very flattered and appreciative. And that made me very all the more excited to fuck him the next time. Other sexy things for me in a more like literal physical sense. Hands, smells, someone touching me if they have explicit permission, teasing me, touching me slowly and gently and strongly everywhere but my pussy for a long time if they make me wait. I really love that because so few people in my history of partners have made me wait a long time and it's very delicious for me because I'm a sensation lover to just experience my whole body. I love beautiful ladies. I love men who stare at beautiful ladies, maybe with me, with a vibe of deep appreciation and worship. Not the vibe of like, oh, distracted from you. You know, like when it's our shared thing. Sometimes also with strangers where it's like we catch each other checking out the same person, like quietly from across the room. And they're like, oh, what a babe. I like kind people, 
who have nice smiles and good senses of humor. That's sexy. Someone with a creative brain, especially when they apply their creativity to art, even if it's not erotic, but also like especially if it is erotic, especially if I get to be involved with the erotic parts of their creativity. I love behavior that builds trust and creates a delicious erotic container of safety so that I know that I can just disappear and go into full sexy and present mode and let my animal body go. And I think it's sexy when someone can handle all of me who loves the fullness of my energy and enthusiasm and desire. I love someone who wants to lead. That is what I had with my former master before trust breaches and everything fell apart. And I've gotten snippets of it here and there since then. But also the more that I learn, the more I'm like, maybe I need to go find a professional. When do I feel sexiest? Hmm. I feel the sexiest when I am well-rested, not hungry, but also not too full, when I've had time to anticipate a date or a session that is my favorite, when I've been able to luxuriously bathe myself and I've gotten a good balance of creative work done, but also the like regular life must-dos, and I feel like I've earned a break or a sexy adventure or a regular adventure that is like edging for the sexy part. And when I'm with a partner, whether it's during a session or on the part of the date that is the edging leading up to the fucking, I love to be objectified and admired if they have also done a good job of paying attention to the rest of me, to all of me. I do get turned off if I'm just a replaceable body. If I'm just a replaceable body, please go fuck someone else. Please do not waste my time or energy if you're not paying attention to all of me. That does not mean that I need to be in love to have a sexy experience. I don't need them to know every single thing about me. I don't need to know every single thing about them, but I do need us to be present with each other. I also think I have a little bit higher bar now of like, okay, but why should I fuck you? At this point, because of this podcast, so many people I have interacted with have mistaken my sexual enthusiasm and desire in general for availability to them whenever they want it, which is a huge turnoff. I get super duper turned off by entitled expectation. And I pretty much only fuck people who see me as a person. If I can tell. There have been times where afterwards I was like, mm, I don't know if they did, but I was hoodwinked at the beginning. But, you know, we can only do what we can do. I like people who appreciate me. I like people who are open to connecting, whether casual or serious, as long as it's, you know, within the container that we are creating. Like, even at a sex party, if a person cannot say hi and make an effort to like talk to me or be like, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Would you want to? Like, I need just like one clear, simple invitation. If someone comes up and is like, just pawing at me, that's a turnoff to me. You go away, <laughs> you know? And that's not to say that at a play party, I would not be open to jumping straight into an orgy or a puppy pile, but hopefully I've like mingled with some of those people and there's got to be a clear invitation that it's, you know, open for people to jump into because then I can choose. Because otherwise, without at least a mildly thoughtful invitation where I'm like, okay, we're both being people together so that we can then go be animals together, I don't care. You can go fuck yourself and I will fuck myself. But like, I would rather have it definitely be good and I'm not into total stranger play. I also feel very sexy when I'm being touched, edged, when I'm coming, right after I've come, and when I'm eating a croissant especially if it is my snack right after I have come and it's toasted and I have extra butter and I can just stuff it in my mouth and be a total mess. That's my favorite. 
Can I give an example of a sexy, explicitly clear yes that I have given or received that led to something super hot? Yes, I can. Last summer, I had a friend who was kind of dating this guy, kind of, and he invited her on a weekend trip, but she did not know the dude all that well and was not super duper into going away with him for the weekend all on her own, and she just wasn't sure if she wanted to fuck him yet. But I was in a very horny, somewhat lonely place at the time, so she invited me along to be part comrade, part guard dog, part possible sexual alternative option, possible threesome buddy. We were going to feel it out, see how it went. And she explained this ahead of time. In hindsight, I don't know if I would have said yes if I had already met this guy, but I was very horny and very curious, and I was open to adventure at the time. So sure enough, she was not into having him inside any of her holes, but we all had a very fun chemistry together, and he had a very nice, girthy dick. So we did have several group play situations where she would insert him into me, which was extra hot because at the time I had briefly been talking to another dude who I had not yet fucked. I never did, actually. We never had sex. But he was very into the idea of seeing evidence of my playing with others. So she would insert this very nice thick cock, which made me feel very safe because I knew that there was definitely a condom on it. And then I would get fucked so, so nicely well, she would stay on the bed with us playing with herself with her vibrator and then she handled the photographic evidence and I got some of the nicest cock and cum shots that I have ever had. So that was hot, explicit teamwork. When I tell a friend that I got laid last night, what do I usually mean? What counts as sex for me? Okay, so if you've been listening in the past year, you know that I have a lot of answers to this question. I have gotten to the point now where I am pretty hyper-specific in my language because I know how tricky and often wrong assumptions can be. So I am usually specifying when I'm talking about sex, penetration, anal, blowjobs, or pussy licking, or whatever. When I think of sex, I do think of some form of penetration specifically, usually in my head, but it could be fingers, it could be tongues, it could include a mouth. And I personally am not in any relationships where I would have to worry about what counts as sex cheating wise like that's not in my I don't think it ever will be <laughs> and you know I think agreements should always be clear and adhered to and I think as long as the two people doing it are on the same page about what erotic stuff means that's the most important part about like categorizing what sex means I also will say I recently told a doctor how many dozens of partners I'd had in a certain amount of time and she looked shocked and then I told her that it was counting all the sex, hand jobs, mouth jobs, penetration with cocks and pussies, and also that I like group play. And don't worry, I'm very pro-barrier. I'm very fluid conscious. I've had all my HPV shots. I always have safer sex conversations. And like explaining that to her gave her enough like social bandwidth or whatever to recover her shocked face. And she like nodded and acted like she wasn't like, oh, okay, okay. Like, oh, that makes it okay. But it was so interesting to notice how even someone whose area of expertise with gynecology, those expectations are still very real. And there still was like it was a, it was an interesting kind of like real life shame and judgment moment where I was like, you and you too. <laughs> so, yeah, learnings. Did I ever get a helpful sex education, explicit health and safety talk or lesson in consent growing up? <laughs> After asking this question to however many people I've asked it to, I'm like, what well, counts as helpful, though? 
I would be curious to go back to my episode zero to see how I worded this. I think I've shared versions of this a couple of times, but here's what I remember. I got an AIDS awareness education lesson in fourth grade, which taught us about condoms and the dangers of blood-to-blood contact. And I do remember having a water bottle from this AIDS foundation sitting on my desk at school in fourth grade, feeling very grown up about all of it. And I also remember a condom going on a banana and an AIDS awareness play at the local theater. And I I had like a tingle of like, ooh, they're talking about sex, you know? So I had some sense of what it was. I'd already learned what sex was from my mom when I was four, like the explicit P and V procreation talk because she was a labor and delivery nurse. So yeah. And then in fifth and sixth grade, we got family life lessons. I don't remember them lasting longer than a day each. I don't know. I don't think they did. But I do remember treasuring my tiny deodorant and trying to put tampons in my vagina, like wondering where the hole was long before I had started my period because I was extremely insertion curious. And I had looked at all of these diagrams before because my mom, again, taught labor and delivery nursing at the local community college. So I had been in her office with the posters and I'd looked at her books. And I feel like there was even some sort of like interactive pelvis that a baby could go through. (laughs) Um, And I remember feeling like a little bit superior because I had also, by the time I was 10, read the Asking Questions About Sex and Growing Up book. And then the book Show Me, which had naked pictures of grown-ups and kids, not in a porny way, but designed as a sex ed picture book sort of way. So that taught me a lot. And I remember I would like sneak it out from under the bed and like show my friends. And it's like, you know, that was my version of boy magazines. <laughs> I also do remember getting sex ed in our biology class in seventh grade. It was more reproduction oriented and I skipped regular health class in high school. I had a summer school program instead, so I don't remember getting any useful information from the Christian home study summer school classes that I was able to privately take for the same credit so I didn't have to do summer school and then I could still take all the classes I needed to take. But I do remember people in my grade saying that our health slash biology teacher let it be publicly known that she was a 40-year-old virgin and was saving herself for Jesus. And then I do remember my mom giving me a little talk. I want to say I was 16 or 17 And that is the one that was about me having a fundamentally sexy body because of my hourglass figure and that I should never let a guy pressure me to do anything that I didn't want to do, even if he says he loves me. And she did not explain what to do if I happened to be very horny and wanted to have sex, but we did end up having a Swedish exchange student when I was 16 who was a year older than I was, so I learned a lot from her. She'd already been having sex for two years and I asked her as many questions as I could. That's probably like the earliest form of sex stories. (laughs) And I do remember her being like very cool and blasé about all of it. Very straightforward, but like kind of like, yeah, yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, okay, Carmen. But it was a huge source of learning for me. And I met her just after I started giving a very cute boy blowjobs in secret. So I definitely also had looked up a tiny online video pre-YouTube of like a blowjob tutorial. And I think it was this Swedish friend who helped me connect the dots between blowjobs and oral sex. Like, I didn't quite realize they were (laughs) in the same category. And that was after I'd already gotten pretty good at giving them. So I think I didn't even know for another year or so that there was a mouth-on-vagina version that could be offered the other way. So I'm really mixing in my formative sex ed learnings here, but those are my learnings. And it was also my current best friend who, when picking out lingerie at Victoria's Secret, helped me understand that it was really okay to 
want sex if I did want it. I just remember being very confused about why she was suggesting crotchless panties. I like could not fathom what they were for. I didn't understand how they could possibly be comfortable enough to wear. And like, I'm really texture sensitive. So then the idea of seams being like on my pussy, because I had this idea that I would wear them under pants or something. <laughs> I didn't like that. Um, it was also during that trip to the mall that my mind, you know, was expanded. Maybe my mind and heart was expanded by my first friends who were not only not judgmental about sex, but they were really encouraging me to do what I wanted, which was a first. So now what happens to my shame meter when it's time to talk to a partner about safer sex? Mm, it stays pretty low. However, lately I've noticed that my annoyance meter has been skyrocketing. I have not been meeting people lately yet. Maybe I'm not going to the right places yet. Who have been initiating these conversations. So if it's someone I'm considering having sex with barriers and protection are duh, they're a done deal for me. I don't feel ashamed to talk about that. I just feel annoyed because I have had too many recent experiences where I feel like I am like peppering them to death with detail-oriented questions because it feels like I'm having to like drag out all of this health and safety info. And I'm like, I'm not like here to pull a cart along, like to give you the great glory of fucking me, like help, you know, like, you know, I want to be compassionate if someone is scared, if it's hard for them. But also at this point, if someone is too scared to have a basic health and safety conversation, A, I'm worried about my own health and safety. And like looking back on my past experiences, I have good reason to have that fear. And also like, I'm not a beginner's model anymore. Like, like if you're scared of that, the rest of me is probably going to be pretty scary too. And I definitely have had some moments where I have had to, you know, kindly, politely point out a partner's dirtophobia where they're like, oh, no, no, don't worry, I'm clean. And then I have to be like, okay, cool, great, good for you. Do you have a recent test? No, you don't? Oh, interesting. And then I also have to be like, I know you don't know this and I just want to help educate everyone because that's what I do. But mm, there is some like sex negative name calling because like if you're clean, then technically I am dirty do you get cold sores? And then a lot of them do. And then I explain my HSV status and I tell them how lucky they are that I have both herpes in my mouth. And I go over risk factors and underline how uncomfortable it was and how sad I was to have a partner who didn't check in, who didn't keep our agreements, who in fact lied about the fact that he had unprotected sex with a fucking rando at a party, even though multiple times we went over like, these are our agreements. You know, and next time someone tries to put it in my butt without a condom, I'm going to be like, fuck no, and I'm done, bye. Like, we talked about this twice already. And I will say, I think a lot of this reflects on the fact that it may be time for me to search in different dating pools. And I don't know, I'm tired. It's so effortful. It feels effortful. That's the story I'm telling myself. So when basic health and safety conversations feel struggly to me, it's a huge, super duper turnoff for me. Because that gives me a lot of information about what their interactions with other partners have been like, will be like. And I typically find that it indicates general levels of like unconscious fear, unconscious shame, you know, and I've gotten into some funny situations where I didn't realize the person I was talking to was struggling with shame, especially since so often these days I am talking to lovely listeners or other people who kind of know what I do. So I don't know, I get a lot of passes with people who know that I'm not judging them, which is not the same necessarily, you know, I'm not out there dating people who listen to the podcast. I'm attempting to date people who like, I'm just another person. 
So it's hard for me to remember sometimes that trust building from scratch does take time. I'm practicing slowing down and I'm learning that I am apparently way faster paced than a lot of the humans that I have attempted to engage with recently. I heard a friend tell me a couple months ago that talking to me is like trying to get a drink of water from a fire hydrant. So I'm slowing down, I'm letting go of my annoyance, and I am open to being in kink-positive, sex-positive spaces where I will up my chances of finding a partner who turns me on by initiating a health or safety conversation. So now, my sexual timeline. I think I might have to put my sexual details in a bonus thing. Maybe that'll go on Patreon. This is why we need to do deep dive lives, because there's so much to say about each question, in my opinion. And also, I love having these conversations with other people. But I think if I really had each sex stories interview as long as I wanted to have it, they would each be like five hours. <laughs> All right, formative stuff. My first explicitly sex-related memory, that was my mom telling me what sex was, a penis going into a vagina, how a baby gets made. I don't know if I asked or if she volunteered, but it was not abnormal in the course of the conversations around her work. Like, I feel like I always knew what it was. But if I think about this question not in, like, learning biology terms, if I think of it more from the perspective of, like, little kid me being curious, I definitely remember pressing myself up against my car seat buckle that went between my legs. That was just, like, a general delicious curiosity, and I remember always being very curious. I definitely remember setting up my Barbies in wedding-oriented tableaus, and I also set them up naked and scissoring, which is how I thought sex happened at the beginning, and I didn't understand that there was, like, a thrusting motion. I thought it was just, like, a... <laughs> So I had like the wedding thing and then I also had like the orgy style tableaus and they would just be like put together. And then I remember trying to kiss my three future husbands on the playground in kindergarten. I was literally chasing these three different boys around with a green, I, I want to say it was like a little plastic ball keychain thingy, maybe a volleyball, I don't know. And I went to kindergarten at a Catholic school. So they told me pretty quickly that I was not allowed to play that game anymore. And then, yeah, my early understandings of what sex was or what it meant. When do I feel like I really understood what sex was? Well, in some ways, I am kind of a sexual expert at this point. And I also feel like I am still trying to understand a lot. But part of that is because I started paying closer and closer attention. And I feel like I can answer this question in a few different ways. I literally understood what intercourse was when my mom explained the P&V baby making stuff. And then I started to understand more about kind of the concept with books, including this book that I do not know the name of. I wish I did. I wish I could track it down and read it again. I think I found this just after I got the other sex ed books. I have searched my parents' library at home for this book. I've even asked my mom about it. Even pre-Swedish exchange student, this is the early origin of my fascination with sex stories. I remember it was written by a dude. And I remember in the intro, he wrote with such reverence about his 11 lovers. And I specifically remember the context, like the frame that he gave, that 11 for some was an outrageously high number. And for others, it was a tiny little number. And who was he to speak with any amount of authority? But I remember him saying, you know, so both of those things are true, but these are my experiences and just like owning that. I don't remember a single detail from that book other than that framing. I remember being titillated. I remember reading it in secret. And I remember I could not wait to have sex. And I don't know how old I was when I got the idea into my head that I would have to wait till I was 20 and married, as if those things spontaneously happened. 
once I hit two decades, I don't know. <laughs> but I just remember being very excited throughout my entire like teenage years that like, mm, it's coming, it's coming. And I do remember being freshly 15 and going to a graduation party of an upperclassman that I really, really liked. And I was wearing a pair of white cotton panties from PacSun that had a palm tree on it, which I specifically selected just in case we had sex. And looking back, I mean, I think I even missed the social signal when he dropped me off at home after his party that could have led to my first kiss. I really, really wanted that kiss. But the idea, like looking back, that I could just like have sex at the time, I was like, no, sex, I'm open for it. I'm here. But I had no idea what it actually meant. I didn't even know how to like lean in for a kiss. I remember standing at my back door and kind of having that lingering moment. And like he had left his own party to drive me home. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of those things that hindsight, 2020. And side note, I did end up hooking up with that guy two or three years later when my best friend and I went on a road trip to visit him and some friends in college. And that was my first orgasm from a guy going down on me. Not the first time a guy went down on me, but my first orgasm from it. It was amazing. It might have been my first orgasm ever from a partner, if I'm thinking about that correctly. And it wasn't until that Victoria's Secret lingerie shopping day with my best friend that was one of her first friend outings that I really started to understand that sex was something that I could want now, thanks to their influence. And so that helped me realize also at the time that I was not ready for full sex. Though I was very eager, I was very horny, I wanted to make sure that I would have my first sex with someone who cared enough to make it a good experience for me, where I would feel respected and hopefully someone that I could do it with again. So that was where I started to kind of like develop this idea of looking for candidates to take my virginity, which was how I was thinking of it at the time. And then once I did start having sex, I realized then, like, I still didn't really get it because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't understand. Like, I had it and I was like, hmm, there's a lot more here. Hmm, I wonder what it is. And I thought maybe I just needed a boyfriend. And then I got a boyfriend and it was still pretty good, but I realized there was still something that I was kind of missing. So maybe I needed a boyfriend that I could communicate with better. And then I got one of those. And by that point, I was able to be unshy enough to teach him how to make me come with his hands consistently, which was awesome. But I always felt like I wanted him more than he wanted me, which was a big mindfuck because also the people in my life, friends, would constantly tell me that I was too pretty to be with him, which was another fucked up thing. I don't know. People really offer unsolicited opinions that are rude, in my opinion, on the regular. Like, it's very normal for people to offer things like that, and I don't like that. So, I don't know. Looking back, I think he was just a vanilla sweetie, and I am, you know, as horny as I am. And then after that, I fell in love with a vagina owner who taught me some cool communication stuff in bed. And we only ever hooked up once, but I was, like, deeply in love. And yeah, we never even got to do it without their stupid husband there. And so I thought maybe more vaginas was what was missing from my sex life. And then once I discovered kink when I was 27, that is when I thought I really understood sex. The communication, the clarity, the hypersensuality, the clear container, and an equally pervy partner who taught me that all my horny lust and desire was actually pretty cool. And so a year later, that led to sex stories. I really, like, starting this podcast, I was like... I know a thing or two, and even if people are vanilla, we can all benefit from clearer sexual communication. Let me share what I've learned. You know, I was in constant turn-on, very inspired by that relationship. And, you know, sex stories has led to so many other things in my sex life, but in terms of understanding sex, sex stories has also helped me realize that amidst all of the universal truths that we all do seem to share when it comes to sex, attempting to 
understand sex is kind of like trying to understand a tree and then realizing that like this tree is different from that tree and also forests are made up of all different kinds of trees and like the whole forest is sex and I can get the gist of it. I can appreciate the beauty. I love touching bark and pine needles and leaves and watching the seasons and the snow and all of that but sex like a forest is a singularly unique experience for each of us. But sex, like a tree or a forest, whatever, whatever your sex is, is yours. Here's a fun question. Is your sex life more like a tree or a forest? Mine goes back and forth. The point is it's a singularly unique experience for each of us. And we can also all connect over it. I think my main takeaway from this question about understanding sex is it was probably the second year of sex stories after my relationship with my ex-master had started to fall apart pretty consistently and I had talked to several dozen people in depth, that's when I started to realize it really is a pick-your-own-adventure collection of sensual experiences that for some reason people talk about as if it's this singular thing. Like there's one capital T truism for sex. So that is why I love interviewing people one at a time and going deep. It's also why I'm very, very, very excited at the prospect of getting a group of us together every Monday night to go deep on a single question or topic and compare and contrast the different experiences. It has also been in the course of the last three years that I really started to see the ebb and flow in my own artistic creative work as it related to my sex life. And so I've been watching those patterns in everyone I meet to the extent that I can gathering anecdotal data and looking at the parallels between a person's sexual satisfaction and curiosity in their erotic life, comparing that to their everyday work or their work or art-related creativity. And I would definitely love to do a more formal study. I don't know how that fits into my life, but my general sense so far is the more sexually satisfied someone is, the more they seem to be able to take creative risks share noodles on fantasies with me, etc., without fear of judgment. And I think that can also go both ways. I think for some people, sex is the entrance point towards creativity. I think for other people, it's the opposite. Like, their creative life can make them feel more confident for sex. And I'm sure there are other, like, truths. Again, it's a whole forest. <laughs> it's a whole forest, and then there's also, like, the ocean, and there's, like, underwater forests, too. But because I talk to people about sex so much, I will say I personally have noticed that the less someone is getting laid and feeling desired or like depending on how that relates to their self-esteem, it seems like it's almost too vulnerable for them to even share a creative brainstorm or desire, erotic or otherwise. So this is not conclusive by any means and I am curious to hear your personal thoughts, noodles, experiences on this topic. And that is what I'm hoping to study in greater detail at live shows and on the future playship road trip tour. How did culture, religion, family values, or friendships I grew up with influence my relationship to sex? Okay, so, well now, after talking to jillions of people, I have come to realize that my personal privilege is not only the fact that I was raised on a spacious rural ranch with lists of chores that had to be completed by 1800 and values of not just hard work, but doing good work, you know, our, our weeding and our bathroom washing and picking worms off the tomato plants. I don't like tomatoes to this day for that reason. We, w we always had an inspection afterwards. This might also have something to do with my service kink. I don't know. <laughs> like, very loved, but like, love doing a good job. Follow through, deep, unconditional love. Like, that's all part of my upbringing. And because my parents always respected my boundaries, 
I learned that 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 was normal by default. I expected people to, you know, actions and words should match. Duh, why wouldn't they? They always did. And because my parents also said things like, you're a little different with big loving smiles and they loved the fuck out of me no matter how weird I was, I never learned to contort myself into weird, people-pleasing, pretzel-shaped behaviors that I have learned are very common and are oftentimes the foundation to abusive relationships or just like deep dissatisfaction in a relationship and or like, you know, so many people I talk to are like busy living a pretend life that they hate for other people. And oftentimes it's for like a vague fear of societal judgment, like not even a specific person. So I have always had the luxury of being an extremely firm boundary setter and expecting boundaries to get upheld which I have learned over the past couple years, it took me two years of sex stories to start piecing this together, is probably the reason that I was rejected so much in my early years. That I have exploded people in these shocking to me ways. And I suspect it's also the reason that I do not have major scars from sexual assault, like so many of my femme friends. So my bumps and bruises were more confusion and judgment related. I remember when I was 14, a very religious friend volunteered one New Year's Eve that she didn't think I was going to wait until marriage. Which at the time I was like, what? How could this even, like it hadn't even occurred to me at the time that I could make a different choice. It took two more years for me to be like, wait a second, let me put these pieces together. And I could not for the life of me figure out why she was saying it. Like I didn't even kiss anyone until I was almost 16. I was curious about boys. I liked them, you know. I remember feeling also secretive around masturbation, but that was more out of privacy needs, my own desire not to share the things that I'd read about in those books with my family. And there was no specific religious shame in my household that I could name, though I do think the vague, puritanical ideals impede the possibility of safe pleasure explorations for most of the Western world, just saying. I think we learn a lot of rapey culture from the no-means-yes rapey-rapey dynamics in most movies that have a love plot you know, from the last hundred years or so that is starting to change, blessedly. So, you know, a lot of people who I talk about romance with have some pretty, in my opinion, honestly gross ideas for me about what love can or should look like. Again, like people who are like, I'm jealous because I love you. I think that's disgusting and um, manipulative, personally. So more broadly speaking, like, yes, there are larger cultural influences. In my nuclear family in particular, I didn't have a clear template for comfortably talking about desire or sex. Like, we just didn't do it. So I also didn't know how to do dating or romance conversations. I just didn't. And I've been making up for that lost time over the past few years. Like, I'm leading the way. My parents, you know, because they know that I have a sex podcast, have been opening up a little bit more. Yeah, it really took me until I was 28 and was like, wait a second, I'm not actually shy. I could talk about sex publicly, and I just have been following the default societal rules that don't actually exist. Now, what is the first sexual experience I remember having? Okay, I've uh, chopped this up into the with myself category first. So those educational books absolutely inspired me, and I explored different styles of touching myself. First, I would diddle my hypersensitive clitoris. If you're looking at the video, you can see my fingers. So that was like deep amounts of pressure kind of pushing down after warming up, but like through my labia, you know, so I would move them back and forth. Eventually, I did learn how to use a shower head, the massaging kind, but my clitoris is so sensitive I could never have the water like poking directly on my clit. That was not for me. It was like the vibration 
of the shower head plus the outer stimulation from the water that created the really good massage feeling. And like, it could be like indirectly touching or like going over it. Like there was, yeah, it is very similar actually to how I use the magic wand today. And I think I was maybe 10-ish when I started exploring my own body. I, I think I read those books and was like, you can do this? Whoa, didn't occur to me, even though the car seat incident had happened. I definitely remember thinking that I was going to have to stop once my pubic hair started growing in. Like I had some idea that that is what would make it dirty for some reason. I also had no idea that pubic hair could be removed at the time, duh. But then as I got a little older, I decided that even with hair, it still felt good. And as long as I was like washing those hairs properly and not pinching myself with them, it was probably still fine. <laughs> and then to this day, I do go back and forth between having a little bit of fur and then using my electric razors to shave. I have really always liked the feeling of like direct, smooth skin to skin contact when touching my own pussy rather than like having a little barrier of fur, especially if I'm using my hand. I really, really wish I had skipped the college and early 20s years of waxing. I definitely have some like light colored scarring on my mom's pubis that are like speckly from waxing and sugaring. It, my skin down there is way more sensitive than the rest of my body. And like, yes, I tried all the bumps treatments. No, none of them worked for me. You don't know how sensitive your skin is until you know. And in terms of explorations with other people, when I look back, I'm like, I guess technically it started at dances. I don't think I've spoken about this before, really conceived of it in this way before. I also truly did not comprehend that like bumping and grinding was a sexual thing. I found dances very tiring. Usually I didn't like the music. Looking back, I think I was more excited to like go to the dance with a group of friends as I was trying to figure out what it was like to be in a social circle, how to be in a social circle. And, you know, dances were these parts where, like, I was getting chosen and I was getting, like, invited in a group of people. And it was usually people who I conceived of as more popular because I was a little bit more of a, like, not a loner, but I had, you know, different friend groups. And I would kind of, I was always independent. I have always been independent, just, like, doing my own thing. And, like, I don't really know how to get into the, like, vibe of a group. And they always eventually seem to, like, get mad at each other or talk about each other behind each other's back. And I just, like, hate that. So I think I just was never that into the guys that asked me. And I was really excited when the ladies in the group were like, come with us. And they were always very pretty. And I have no idea if one of my crushes had asked me, would it have been more fun? Would there have been a consent forward element with that humping dancing? I do like dry humping. Like maybe it would have been more fun then. Also looking back, I now remember at the dances, I felt very frozen a lot. Like I could never understand how... People were having fun and talking and chatting and like I couldn't hear the conversations. I was so stressed. Looking back, I'm like, oh, I was 100% overstimulated, but I didn't know what that was. I thought like everyone was having this experience of like, and just like chilling with it, you know? I personally can't think straight when stuff is super loud. Like even if like a trash can is getting pushed by or like when the helicopters fly over me, I can't work. I can't think straight. And the more aroused I get sexually, the more noise sensitive I become. So dances for me were always the opposite of the turn on, but I think they actually were the first place that I like theoretically experienced what would have been like a somewhat sexual experience with a partner. What was more my teenage style was sneaking over to the house of the super popular, very cutest, handsome boy that everyone had a crush on who was a year older than I was and giving him blowjobs. Which again, 
I did not initially identify as oral sex. I just like learned about blowjobs and I was like, ooh, you know, I, I knew that it was hooking up, but I was like, well, that's not sex because I still had a very penis and vagina idea of sex at the time. But I loved doing it. I loved the fact that he was so cute. I loved being initially in a bra and panties. Eventually, I think I was boobies naked with him. I think one time he touched me, but it was like a year or two into it. And I was like, mm, ah, this is pokey. I don't like it. <laughs> I remember his skin being so soft and I loved how dark and tan it was compared to mine. We both played water polo and I loved checking him out at practice and having that kind of like secret sneaky thing. And it was a high school mean girl experience that gave me the fuck it vibes to explore that curiosity. After school one day, I was walking to catch the bus home, and the pretty popular blonde girl in my grade walked up to me, flanked by two of her brunette cronies, and she said, you're a whore. And at the time, I was confused. I had only been kissed by two boys, one of them very recently, on my 16th birthday, at a very loud dance, but the kissing definitely did make it better. And that was at a DECA conference, if any of you out there were in DECA, business school nerds, in Anaheim. And when she said that, I was genuinely baffled. I was like, what could she possibly be talking about? And I consulted friends, and they explained to me the concept of, if you've already been accused of a crime, why not do the deed? And maybe that would be like fun payback, but I also just like had had a crush on this guy since seventh grade too. And so I thought I would just toy with the situation and see what would happen and it was only much, much later that I found out that her on-again, off-again boyfriend would talk behind my back about how perfect I was. So I really spent the next couple of years tempting him every time he got a new girlfriend or every time he would get back together with her. And then when he was broken up, I would sneak out of my house in the blessedly quiet Prius. <laughs> Usually at night, sometimes during the afternoons before parents got home. And I loved making him come. I loved swallowing. I loved that thrill of secrecy. But it never occurred to me that he could actually have liked or possibly respected me. So looking back, I do believe that perhaps that is the origin story of my kink for degradation. And I solidified it a couple years later when a guy that I had had a crush on since I was five, who was my first semi-unrequited love, had a similar pattern. He was the one that would flirt with me and tease me, and we did have these hot makeouts here and there, but he would never go too far, and maybe a little bit of fooling around. But I thought we had amazing chemistry. Like, my whole body felt lit up by him. Like, he would just, like, take over my brain. I have no idea what that was. And yet, he was always getting other girlfriends that weren't me, but still, like, talking to me, still teasing to me, still, like, leading me on. And I was really, like, wrapped up in my mind about him for five years until I got my first boyfriend. And I did see other people throughout the course of that time, but... He was the one that I tried to lose my virginity to first, and then we got real close before he changed his mind, and then I tried again later, and he said no again. <laughs> so those were my, like, early formative experiences, solo and with partners, getting into details of what stands out in terms of kissing, touching, oral penetration, and any other forms of erotic energy that were meaningful to my sexual self. Well, while my late teen self was, unconsciously, enjoying the delicious and degrading kink of quasi-rejection. In my conscious mind, I was still, like, trying to find a guy I liked, trying to get a boyfriend who was, like, worth, you know, worth me, whatever. And instead, I said yes to going to prom my junior year 
so it would have been 16, almost 17, with a dude in my AP physics class who teased me pretty relentlessly. Like, not bullying, but, like, was, like, always teasing me. And it was because I was smart. And he was the first one to go down on me in our treehouse, which I had, again, heard about at that point, but I really didn't understand. And I absolutely suffered from the fear that my vagina was squishy and stinky and weird. And I was like, wow, he likes us. And he seemed to really like it. But I had absolutely no ability at the time to explain to him how absolutely sensitive my clit was. So it was a lot of like tolerating. And I had no actual idea like that I could come, that I might have, or like that I could even get pleasure from his actions. Like it felt like such a new concept to me. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is very interesting. But there was just, again, like that feeling of like, I'm not sure what's supposed to happen here. And then later that summer, that was a great summer. I flirted with lots of boys. And my second experience with a guy going down on me was very different. And this was a different guy that I had had a crush on since I was four or five. And I was hanging out with my brother and some of his friends. And I was definitely a little tipsy because it was around them that I felt safe drinking. Like I knew he was there to protect me. And the dude that I was flirting with was one of those people who could make his tongue into like a wiggly clover shape. I think that was the seduction move that got us to sneak off and defile our friend's twin bed. And then it was the following spring that the other guy, who was also kind of there in their friend group, gave me my actual first orgasm with a partner, and he was going down on me. And that was very hot. Because I still wasn't having sex with people yet. You know, like, I wanted to make sure that I could have sex with someone I would see again, but I was, like, very happy to fool around with him. And I think I was, like, 18-ish at the time, and I'd also made out and fooled around with another sweetie cutie in their friend group. And I definitely remember being at several hangouts in that era for the next couple of years where many of them were present at the same time. And I really got off on the tension of it. I often wouldn't end up hooking up with any of them, but I think I really liked feeling slutty. I liked feeling desired. I even liked the winks and the nods that they all knew. And I don't think any of them ever really did pursue me when the other ones were around, although it's entirely possible that they did and I just missed the social signals. But like looking back, I'm like, hmm, is that the origin of my like gangbang desires? <laughs> And then in college, first, I got rejected four times over the course of two years, trying to lose my virginity. I was 19 and a half by the time a friend who I had, like, hooked up with the previous year and had considered him a great candidate finally said yes, and we did everything. Like, I wanted to just, like, try all the holes and do everything. And then I did end up sleeping with more guys, only guys, after that. I wasn't yet aware of the fact. Like, I really thought I was straight. I really did. <laughs> I didn't know yet. But I loved having sex and being touched, and I loved getting good feelings from it. I did not come very often, and there was, again, a lot of confusion. I did come sometimes, but if I did, it was definitely a surprise. And it was the heightened sense of, like, maybe surrounding all of it for me. Like, I think it was the, like, is this going to happen? Like, just the dopamine rush of, like, the chase, maybe? Feeling desired, all of it. And then, you know, I also wanted people who were going to come back and do it again with me. And that didn't happen as often as I would have liked. It was like handfuls here and there. A lot of it was very confusing. I didn't know how to keep relationships or even regular friendships. Like I'm still, the pattern that I have felt is true for me for a lot. It's like people pick me up, play with me for a little bit, and then they drop me and they're bored and they move on. I don't have a sense of how normal that is, but it left me feeling very out of control and very just like, oh, well, maybe I'm not. Hmm. Okay. I would often feel bored or ignored, like something was missing, especially in the communication arena. And I also, looking back, realized that I was way hornier than most of the people that I met. So here I was being like, hi, yum, 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 yum. And I think it's easy for people 
to reject someone if they're like too much or too easy or too available. Definitely the partners that I had, it was always over too fast for me. Like I wanted more touches. I wanted more fucking. I wanted more everything. You know, and I had some great experiences. Like I got to finally sleep with the guys who had previously rejected me, which at the time again felt like, like, yes, I got them. And looking back, I'm like, oh, those fuckers, I gave them what I want. Oh, okay, okay. You know, like they should have had me the first time. Like they just wanted to like come back after I was already, I guess, claimed by someone else. I, I don't know. Any of you out there who are afraid to have sex with virgins, I would love to hear that sort of logic there. I got to have sex in a fort. That partner I learned because I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I was really nervous about numbers early on. And I was like, no, I don't know. And that's the partner that was like, is it really a no? Or is it like, are you saying no? And I was like, it's really a yes. So like there was this moment where, you know, we were really fooling around. I was taking everything to the edge and there was that check-in moment. And I was like, oh no, I'm saying no because I am worried about judgment. Yeah. And then I got to do it with this really cute Australian pilot who I met randomly out in the world. And then he would like fly in and they were putting the pilots up, Qantas pilot at a Newport Beach hotel. So then I would go down to Orange County and we'd have these like magical fancy dates and our sex was really mediocre. Like I didn't understand. He was so cute. We had such great chemistry. We got along so well. And I'm like, why is the sex like this? And you know, I was like, is it different if they're down there? I ended up hooking up with a guy who was on my freshman like dorm room floor. But then like way later, we ended up finally having sex. He was so hot. And um, we had really good sex. He was the first, like, friendly, casual partner that I just, like, he was more of a bro, but, like, really smart, really handsome, just a sweetie, nice guy. And we would, like, fuck and then, like, lay next to each other and read and then go to sleep and then, like, maybe fuck again in the morning. And then I had, like, there was another frat boy that I kind of dated briefly who was, uh, that was, that was a weird relationship. That was right before I went to France. I was in a tough time. There was a period in that year where I was, 20 and I remember at one point like I was like loosely dating like a dozen people and I counted the number of dates I'd been on like two weeks back and two weeks forward and it was a lot and I wasn't fucking most of them but I was like trying to figure out like what relationships meant and so this was the guy that I like during that time I was like really obsessed with and he was another one that people were like you he's not even cute like what are you doing um, but I just thought he was so smart and funny and we had fine sex in his bunk bed. <laughs> and then when I studied abroad in France, I fucked a really hot Romanian dude. But then he also was like, nobody makes me mad like you do except my mom. And I was like, what? Like, why are we having sex then? And so then we didn't anymore after that. It was really weird. And then I got into my 20s and finally got my first boyfriend. And he was great. We had so much, like, he had desire levels comparable to mine, and we just had such a delicious connection. I didn't know how to communicate at the time, and he was sensitive to the communication attempts I made, and we just, like, were not, we're very, very good friends, but, like, in terms of me trying to be like, I have a boyfriend now, I can communicate about everything, like, I was very harsh with it, and I would get really, like, serious and crinkly about it, and I, I would do a lot of, like, not like that, you know, and so then he'd be like, what do you want me to do, you know, so we had a great quantity and regularity of fucking and, like, lots of desire for each other, but I still was like, what am I doing wrong? What else do I need? And I was pretty devastated after we broke up, like, that was my longest official relationship, like, 22 to 24, and after that is when I really started exploring. And I had met some pickup artists at the time. I would later work with them. But that led to my first threesome. And I like couldn't believe that it was happening. Because I was like, is what I 
like my whole life, most of my sexual experiences have come from some version of like, is what I think is happening happening? And then sure enough, it is. Um, so my first threesome unfolded that way. And I was able to be like, wait, you want this and she wants this. You want this and he wants this. I, I can be with both of you. And they were like, yes. <laughs> and it like blew my fucking mind because I had only at that point at age 24 and a half, I had only understood threesomes as a way for partners to like cheat on each other with permission. I had a whole different paradigm back then. And so it was around then that I was started doing more casual dating. Like I was trying to get over my ex and I was like trying to put myself out there. Like I hooked up with a great, very talented photographer who is like world renowned. I met him at a party. He took a great picture of me on a cell phone. We went to fancy places. I met another producer's assistant and we would like fuck and then like watch dailies of like whatever movies he was working on. There was another guy who was an actor friend who I thought was just so cute. He was great. We had, this was the first time where I was like, oh, I can come on a cock. But he would just like pound me for hours, like two or three hours until I'd be like, wait, I'm getting sore now. You need to like, let's finish this up. So we didn't have finesse. We didn't have like emotional arcs that would have like made it into anything. And I was sort of just like waiting to see what would happen. But we again had good chemistry and good desire until he got very jealous when I was like on set filming a movie up in the mountains. So that was a whole kind of like period of exploration until I booked another feature film and met my second boyfriend who was such a sweetie. He was the kind of more like vanilla sweetie. And we also had good like mutual frequencies of desire, but it was just very like streamlined and compact. And like he would always make me come. And it was like around that time that I also started working with the pickup artists. So I read a lot of their books. I produced and directed a couple of seasons of their online reality series that I thought was going to be a stepping stone to like other film related things, but it was not. But I was fascinated by the psychology and our show was supposed to help ladies pick up dudes. Very straight, very straight. And again, I, even though I'd had a threesome at this point, I did not understand myself as a queer person, but I thought I was being progressive. I thought I was like learning. And I also discovered then that I got along really, really well with their autistic clients. I loved how sweet and straightforward and clear they were, even if they didn't always have a lot of tact. I just loved them. <laughs> and so it was through working with them that I learned about and then attempted to a disastrous result, polyamory. I had not read any of the books. I had only been educated by these dating coaches, these professionals, and I fell madly in love with a vagina owner who had a husband. They were also exploring open relationships in polyamory, but I didn't realize how not far along they were because the way that they spoke about it was like so educated. They were from New York and they were very, very cultured. And, you know, so it was this interesting thing and it, it created a lot of disasters, but it was very hot, so much turn on. And it was also with them that I cheated on my sweetie boyfriend and like really, really, really hated myself for it. Like, never, ever thought I would cheat. Hate the idea of cheating. Yes, I've slept with married people. No, I don't like to help them cheat on each other. Like, that's not a relationship I want. If there's an open situation, great. And so I felt like a huge hypocrite. And I felt even worse because it all happened so fast. And yes, there was alcohol involved. But I didn't even think about it. I was swept away in the moment. And so while it was this like beautiful, communicative, hot threesome in a very fancy, fancy person's apartment, the post-disaster, like I started to crumble. I was still producing this show. My best friends in LA moved away. 
I was like, what the fuck am I doing? So after that disaster, like those relationships all ended, I just started having sex with hotties. Like whoever I met, who I was attracted to. I slept with all my friends who I was aware of wanted to sleep with me at the time. I was meeting people pretty easily in person. Like I had a hot friend I'd always had a crush on. And I was like, you know, we'd always talked about stuff. And he always mentioned that he was open to casual sex. And so I was like, during my first batch of dating post first boyfriend, I'd been like, you know, it's so strange. Every time I take a date to the hot tub, they always make a move on me in the hot tub. I wonder if it's something about hot tubs. And my best friend was like, uh, even my mom knows what a hot tub means. And I was like, what do you mean? And I didn't hate getting kissed. I was just like, it's like hot tubs are magic. <laughs> so I took my hot friend to the hot tub and I was like trying to like put the moves on on purpose. And he was like, um, you know, this is usually what someone does to hit on someone that they're like interested in and like want to do stuff with. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm tr that's what I was trying to do. Like I was trying to use the normal human signals. <laughs> um, so then we did have sex a couple of times and it was pretty awkward. We tried it again a while later and it, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that was me. I don't know. I don't know. Another guy, another director friend, so much good sexual tension. A really good example of how some people like love the tension and the intrigue and the sort of like, oh, we can't, we can't, we're on set, we're doing this thing, we can't, we shouldn't. Oh, we have a friend in common, we can't, we can't. And then when we're like, actually, we can, all the fun left. He seemed really anxious. I don't know if it's because, like, this was the first person that I ever slept with who had like a smaller than average size cock who I'd been with, which like, I didn't care about, but I also was like, <gasps> Does he care? Should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I ask him? He's quiet. What, what are we doing? You know, so I don't know if that was part of it. But like we tried a couple of times and it was like really weird. And then he just disappeared. <laughs> so another guy from acting class. He was cute. He gave me a nice pair of socks because I told him a story about how I had like asked for actually two of these dudes gave me socks because I told them how like all I had wanted for Christmas. I asked my family for socks. And nobody gave me any socks. I love so I love weird socks. I don't get like sexually aroused by socks, but I do love really good textured weird socks. So he got me some interesting ones and we had like a fun night of seduction in his very, very hipster apartment. It was hot, but again, it was like weird and confusing and I felt like I was missing something. And then I met a super duper med school cutie. It's the first guy who I had hooked up with who was like maybe two or three years younger than I was. But he was so cute. He looked like a baby Brad Pitt. And we had a very, like, passionate, very basic, but, like, mm, it was so hot and it was unexpected. And, like, we hung out a couple times. He was a super sweetie. So this was a few months before I went to South America. I was not looking for any sort of a relationship and neither was he. He was back and forth between med school. But he was, like, such a sweetie. He came to my going away party. He had such a good butt. And, like, yeah, we just had a few times in like several different places over the course of a few months of kind of on again, off again, just passionate, pleasure-filled sex. That was super hot. I also, around that same time, met another very hot, it was like the season of hot guys. And then there was another hot guy with a boat and I didn't end up fucking him. And I didn't end up fucking the boat guy, but he was hot. We fooled around a little bit. We made out on his boat a lot. But the model guy who I met on a New Year's Eve, oh my gosh, it was like a scene out of a movie. Like, it was too loud inside. Like it was counting down to midnight. I put a blankie on myself at a swanky place in Hollywood and went outside. Like, wait, you know, all my friends had dates and I was like the single one. And I was like, I'm just going to go be alone because this is like, it was too much for me. I don't know what I was thinking saying yes, going out in Hollywood on New Year's Eve. And so I was sitting there and I saw my friends like walking 
going to the bathroom or something like to my girlfriends and they were like kind of coming toward me and then they made these faces like oh, oh, and then like very obviously like walked away and I like looked around and there was a cutie pie who was talking to me and sure enough we became midnight kisses and it was interesting because we did we became midnight kisses he was so handsome so handsome and then we went on a date and we had sex like a, maybe a second date I don't know it was really awkward and I, it was and that was at the time where I'm like is it me? I'm experienced. This must be a me problem. I don't know. Like, why aren't we connecting? Is it him? This should be good. There seems to be desire on both sides. And I could not figure out what was missing in the chemistry. I was just like a gigantic question mark. And I think it was, well, who the fuck knows? You know, like it was my insecurity around desire, his insecurity around desire. Who knows? Who knows? Like, I didn't get to know him deeply. He was very interested in the work that I was doing with the pickup artists. But it was, yeah, it was really a strange, strange one. And we too kept in touch for a while. And I was like, so I guess I just stay nice friends with people. And sometimes they kind of want to fuck me. How do I really make them? You know, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. I also slept with another friend from film school who was a, a big sweetie. We saw each other off and on. I had kind of a crush on him. I knew he had had a crush on me, but I always thought he like would want something more, would like want to be my boyfriend. And then once we established that wasn't the case, you know, we hooked up off and on for years and we'd go on nice dates and stuff. And then once I got more into kink stuff, I sort of told him about it and invited him to spank me a little bit. He just wasn't kinky. <laughs> we tried, we tried a little bit. And then after that was when I started just before South America, this is when I started dabbling on the Sugar Daddy website. So I had been influenced both by the pickup artists and by my first girlfriend and they really normalized it for me. They're like, oh yeah, this is how we meet girls. And I'm like, you're pickup artists, but you meet girls on a site where you promise them. Hmm. Okay. And so I started dabbling and I did end up hooking up with a guy off of it, but I was like very uncomfortable personally around like the setup and the arrangement and all of that. But he actually made me feel really good. And he was like, well, okay, I'm not going to do anything you're uncomfortable with, but I'd like to buy a painting, you know? And so he was very sweet. We saw each other off and on for a while, but then he started sending me unsolicited, not just nudes, but erotic pictures of him and his wife together. And I knew he was married and like, you know, at the time I was more comfortable with that. You know, I do believe married people's married people's business. Back then I was like dabbling, being open-minded. And he, we did have a very, very hot session where he came over. Also, this was at a time where I like let whoever come over to my house. What was I thinking? And he was late because he was on a business call. And he's like, I'm in the parking lot. Like I could see him from my window. He's like, I'm in the parking lot, but I'm on a call. And I was like, come upstairs. And this is one of those moments where he came upstairs and I just started going down on him while he was on this call. And so that was one of the things that we continued to connect over in a hot way for years to come. But that was just kind of a very short-lived thing. I met another guy at a party who was like a bartender. Dude. I mean, he wasn't bartending. He was working for this company. But like we went out a few times. Eventually, I had sex with him once I saw his cock. I, I don't I really get attracted to bodies and nice people. And, you know, so we had a couple of like hmm, fool aroundy dates and he wasn't very pressury. And I really am turned on by that. I really liked his penis. He made a big deal about his like boxing gloves and how much they smelled. To the point where I was like, you're talking about that a lot. Like for the amount that we know each other, like the ratio, I don't have a good sense of smell. I think he was like nervous about me smelling them in his car. I'm not sure. But um, he was a sweetie. We saw each other off and on a little bit before I left. And then I met a very cute writer producer who was nice and tall. He made me feel tiny. First guy who I'd ever met at a party, but he was like a friend of a friend. So I felt kind of safer. 
But it was the first time I'd ever met someone at a party and that night been like, come home with me. You know, and then as I was driving home, we drove separately because I didn't want to like drive him anywhere after. As I was driving home, I was like, what am I doing? I invited him over. What am I going to, am I going to have sex with him? <laughs> and we did. And it was great. And it was very tender and sensual and passionate. And it was also like six weeks before I was leaving for South America. And I was at this time in my life where I had felt crumbled. Like I felt like I'd failed at a lot of my initial like life goals. I had just turned 27. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm getting old. Which like now I'm like, 27 is not old, it's fine. But I was like, I'm a real grown up and I don't know what I'm doing. Ah, life crisis. You know, and I also had gone through a lot of drama sadness and still ha was holding on to a lot of guilt and self-judgment and was still really doing my best to love myself and to figure out what I needed. Like I went away so that I could just be away from people. So this was a couple months after I'd shaved my head and he took me out to dinner one night. He was very romantic and he was sitting there just kind of like waxing poetic. And he's like, wow, if you had told 10 years ago me that I would be sitting here in Los Angeles this evening with this beautiful woman with a shaved head, I don't know what I would have said. And I remember in that moment being like, oh my God, if I had told a 17 year old me that like I would be where I am right now with a shaved head. Like it was one of those moments where my brain like floated out of the present moment. And I was so full of like self-judgment and just not sexual shame, but like I was ashamed to my younger self, like very much judging myself through a non-existent old young version of me. But the sex was fantastic, I remember. And I wanted more of it. And we had a lot in common. And then when I was traveling, you know, off and on, he would write me these like extremely romantic emails and be like, are we in love? And I was like, uh, are we? And I was like, maybe I really don't understand people, you know? And at that point I'd had like, mm, I don't know, like five or six or seven or nine people be like, are you on the spectrum ever? And I was like, I don't know. I just really like autistic people. LOL. You know, so I was like, maybe I don't understand people. I don't know. But I didn't really look into it. But right before I left, like the week leading up to me leaving for South America, I hooked up with another actor friend who I'd been on set with for a while. Like we had fooled around and then we ended up like hooking up again, like having really passionate, intense, just like yummy fucking. And I think I was like, aha, I can come, you know. So he and then this other director friend were kind of the closest things <laughs> separately. Ooh, it would have been nice if they were together, though. You know, I, I slept with them within a week of each other. Again, always with protection, always with conversations about like, what does this mean to you? With those ones, it was kind of very clear understandings, even to me at that time, that like, I'm leaving the country. We're not looking for anything serious. But those two were the closest I ever had to one night stands because we technically only had all of the sex ones, but also I fooled around with one on set for a while. And then the other one, you know, I'd worked with a lot and we had been friends and had a lot of, we dated, like we went on a few dates and like we stayed in good touch. We were supposed to talk sometime in the last year and we just kept missing each other. But like there are people, most of these are people that I'm on good terms with still. So then I escaped to South America and I will just say meeting people in person is my favorite. Like just following where the wind blows, following the connection is great. I feel like it's maybe just because I've been stuck in Los Angeles too long, but also like maybe because I have been in my house because of the pandemic and now traveling so much. But I had great sex with the first sweet British guy that I met and we actually ended up going from city to city and then reconnecting in Los Angeles. A, he was such a cutie. B, we were so in sync in terms of, at this point, I had like read the books on polyamory and seen so much of what I quote unquote did wrong. 
but I was like really in this space of openness and I was like, oh yeah, I don't think monogamy is for me. And he and his partner at the time were exploring openness and then later split up. And when he was in the U.S., first in San Francisco and then Los Angeles for conferences, we hooked up in both those places again. And he's the one that I felt so comfortable with him the first night. Like I came multiple times and he's the one that was the first one who facilitated an orgasm during 69ing because we just had such delicious body feelings and such easy banter and we could like talk and chat and connect. He was a neuroscientist and like a super smart dude and I really like him. Yeah, I would totally hang out with him if he was in town again. And then there, the next guy who I met in Colombia, I was only two or three weeks into teaching myself Spanish at that point. And so we were like, Google translating to connect, but we were staying in the same Airbnb and then got beers together, went down to the beach together. We're like trying to chat, but we were, you know, he was a cutie and we ended up going back up to our Airbnb. And instead of like fucking in our rooms, we went up to the hilltop that like overlooked the whole town. It was in Taganga outside of Santa Marta. And like, it was so hot. I don't, wow, have I said this one? I feel like when people ask me where like cool places I've had sex, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know, on the beach. Overlooking the entire town and the sea out beyond, I was like, holy fuck, this is amazing. And I didn't come. Like oftentimes when I'm so, um, my brain is like capturing every detail, like it's not necessarily the place where I'll come. Maybe someday I'll get to the point where I'm like, I can have brand new experiences and remember everything and come. But like orgasming is not always my priority. And also I can come and have come many, many times after the fact thinking about that moment because we were still just like deeply connected. It was like just a clear, delicious yes. And it was just so fun. Like sex outside is so fun and beautiful. And there was like no one around to see, but it was like, you know, still exhilarating to feel wind on my skin. And it was maybe like sunset or something. And then the guy that I had sex with after that, I met in Cartagena and he and his friends were just like on holiday and I was, you know, chilling at a bar with my feet in this indoor pool, like sipping a rum drink and like chilling and they invited me out later that night. And so I went with them and we had really delicious, like he was cute and we had really rough sex. I think they were in town for a wedding and we just had like fun, rough sex. And I think, yeah, I ended up spending the night, although I was like, oh, I kind of want to go back to my hostel, but I didn't want to walk through the town late at night. It would have been fine, but I just like was lazy and well fucked. And we were just like really like rough with each other in a consensual, delicious way. Not an explicitly consensual way. And we weren't like so rough, like there was no impact play. There was nothing like that. But these were kind of the precursors to me being like, oh, I really like intensity. I really like someone who like passionately wants to fuck. Like that's what I thought of at the time. I was like, oh, I've experienced like sensual passion, but I really like this intensity. And so I actually ended up seeing him again when I circled back to Bogota later on and we had another wild drunken time, like that was the last time that I drank without getting sick or rather I got very sick. And then after that, my immune system was like, you're never doing this again. Every time you have a sip of alcohol, you will get ill. So he was my grand finale there. We didn't even end up having sex after that second night. And this was very much like a girlfriend, boyfriend experience. Cause when I reconnected with him, like he was like, you can stay at my place. And then we just were like, laying in his bed watching Outlander after fucking and I was like this is interesting and what is happening with people but he was such a cute and he was a musician so he'd like play guitar for me and I you know it was very romantic and then the next guy oh yeah so these two experiences back to back I was like oh I like intense sex I like it when someone grabs me I like fucking really hard like I like 
you know, I like being worked up to it. I like being teased. I liked being romanced, not like in the romantic way, but in the sort of like eye-gazing, caressing, like kissing, touching everywhere, like the build-up to everything and being nurtured. Both of these men were nurturers. Like this one was an Airbnb host and he was just such a cutie, like just such a sweet man. And he would make me the most wonderful food and bring me the most beautiful coffees and like, ugh, that was really, really hot. And then I went to Ecuador and I met another cutie pie and he was another great musician and also played his guitar for me and sang and he was like so wonderful. And when I told him where I was traveling to next, he was like, oh, my parents have a place there. Like no one's staying there this weekend. What if I drive you? Do you want to go with me? And I remember being in his car and I was a little bit stoned while he was driving because he's like, I have weed. Do you like it? Do you want it? And I was like, sure, this is an adventure. And I remember driving out of Quito and I remember a gigantic moon rising over the volcano and he was just like playing us like great reggae beats. And I was like, I am on an adventure. And it was also with that person where like our sex was so weird, like so disappointing. Like it was like all of our connections suddenly disappeared. For some reason, I was very dry. We didn't have lube. Like we're, I was, you know, we were in a tiny town at that point and it was very beautiful, but it was also there that I was like, what is happening in my brain? Like everything around me is perfect. This man is so sweet. I am literally happy to be here. I'm getting massages. I'm going in hot springs. Like what's happening? And that's where I realized that I had some self-love issues. And in fact, was like so deeply in self-hate because of this guilt thing that I was carrying around. I was like, okay, I really need to address this. And so that's when I started learning more about like, what can I do to show myself love every day and spread love across the world? And so that was a really big turning point. Like that mediocre sex with this sweet man who was so cute and nice and kind and we had like these romantic dinners like you know so while I've had like plenty of casual sex in my life none of it has been like like I have never just like tinder fucked I tried a little bit but like I want something a little bit more interesting and so after him I sort of took a break I also wasn't encountering anyone where I had that kind of like easy connection like I had with that first half of my trip and I was like, did a lot of deep soul searching and I was so touch starved. Like I was petting every stray animal. And so by the time I got back to the US, I was like, I had another threesome when I got back. I had sex with a couple of my like casual friends and I was like, there's something about sex I don't understand. I wonder what it is. Like, why is some of it so good? Why is some of it so medium? And it was then in that threesome that I was like, I've always wanted to get tied up. And so my friends tied my wrists up and like we took turns kind of like tying each other up and playing with each other. And like, we didn't know anything. None of us knew anything about kink, but we had just like fun, like seeing what it would feel like. And I was like, okay, I think that that's really what I want to lean into more. And I think that is how I manifested because it was just a couple weeks later that I manifested my now ex-master. I was 27 at the time and I was like ready to explore kink. And I had reflected on like, wow, I'm 27. I'm gonna turn 28 in a couple months and like I've had boyfriends but none of them wanted to explore with me the way that I wanted to like I did dress up a couple times with my first one my second one like wasn't into anything like that and you know I did have some other play partners in parallel over the course of my relationship with my master we were not you know he was a married person in an open marriage I didn't want to be beholden to one person even though oftentimes he satisfied me so deeply that I was not heavily motivated to go look for new people and at the time, I was dabbling on the Sugar Daddy website. Early accounts say that I met him on FetLife. I didn't. I met him on the Sugar Daddy website, but I always felt too scared to say that out loud. And we didn't play 
with an arrangement or anything. I got too nervous that I wouldn't know if I liked the beatings or the other aspect of having an arrangement more. And so I was like, I just want to focus on kink. And so that I think was also another factor. But I did meet a couple other like prospects. And so I had felt a little bit more comfortable. I was always very curious, like very titillated by the idea, very like intrigued that I could go find a place where people were very motivated sexually and also really appreciative. I was like, wait, my, this thing that I really like, other people value it this much like it was kind of I was like hmm this seems too good to be true and I think for the most part it was like looking back I'm like these people did not value me the way that I wanted but there was one that I saw for a couple of months and I really 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 like how he went down on me uh he is the one that I almost kicked out of my house for tickling me because he wasn't respecting the boundary like I am not into being tickled certainly not hard like it's one thing if you're like stroking my arm with nice touches but like he had poor communication and I I think I finally figured out that he clearly did not like having an arrangement. He was just maybe unconsciously looking for some sort of like strange bargain and control. And my friends, both my like former girlfriend and then the pickup artist that I worked with, and then also like many, 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 many people that I've talked to since who are like, oh yeah, I've been on that website. Oh yeah, me too, me too, me too. Like it's very, very common. Probably a lot of you have actually dabbled. But the people who I had encountered who told me about it said that it was a place where I should, should, easily be able to find generous nurturers whose kink is taking care of people. And so this is before I understood anything about daddy doms or like I didn't understand how many sweet, beautiful, nurturing men are out there. Like I sort of had this idea that it was like kind of a fight. So Looking back, I think a lot of my own self-judgment and like judgment about what I was doing and judgment about what the other people were doing helped me kind of like attract people who were on that same energetic wavelength of self-judgment. I don't know. I also did an experiment on that website and looking back, I'm like, oh, that's the epitome of curiosity, my extreme curiosity, my degradation kink my lingering confusion about what counts as attractive and like cultural judgment. Like there's some part of me that is like, that was so impacted by early experience of people being like, you're too hot for him. And I was like, well, I've had sex with people of all attractiveness levels. I try to have sex with nice people who I like. If I can tell that they are nice, they at least are nice until I figure out otherwise. So I wanted to see if it would be fun for me, if I could get turned on by sleeping with someone who is much, much older than me, and who, by societal standards, was decidedly unattractive. So let's just call him the peanut, because he looked kind of like a lumpy little human peanut. And he got very excited to take me to a fancy rooftop place in Hollywood. And he was showing me off under a cabana. And I actually, like, loved, like, I was, like, basically doing it to clock and check in with myself to see, like, do I actually like this? What, what am I getting off on here? I loved how he was flirty touching me. I loved how complimentary he was. It wasn't a very crowded place, but like I was very prepared to like with my smug like fuck you face for any judgmental stares that we might encounter. Nobody ever like nobody gave a shit. Like I think it's very common. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I should get out more and do more research. Not in this way, but like just looking on the rooftop, scoping out sugar pears. So we agreed to meet up again. He was like Italian and very kind of like romantic and I liked his vibe I thought he was really nice or nice enough and sure enough the sex part was great 
And that is when I realized that if someone is nice to me and shares energy with me and is present with me and wants to be full of mutual pleasure, because he just like appreciated my body, like he was grateful, that to me is way, way, way more important in terms of what I count as sexually delicious than any sort of like external outward appearance of hotness. And I didn't end up seeing him again because he very weirdly, like in a weird way, lied about the ways in which he was planning to spoil me. And except for me in the most extreme case, any sort of like strange inconsistent behavior is enough for me to immediately move on from anyone. Although I was really curious about how long, just like in general, like part of me wanted to keep seeing him because I was like, oh, he said he was nearing 70. And at that time I had not talked to very many people who were like near that age about sexual stuff. And I was just curious how long his penis would work, but he was rude and I can only stay attracted to kind people whose actions match their words and who clearly show that they respect and value me. Even though I have this degradation kink, especially with in the conscious ways, I must feel valued. So, details of the relationship with my former master. If you listened to, I think, episode 70, I think I go over negotiation details. We met at a coffee shop for our first meeting. He told me everything he likes to do, stuff that he had done with past submissives, told me a little bit about past relationships, told me what he might like to do with me, got a feel for like my desires, my needs, my experience level. And then he said that he would be very happy to sort of uh, bring me into the land of kink. I don't know, looking back, I think he likes to like teach newbies and I don't get the sense that he's predatory. I don't know. I knew him for a while. He was always very good at listening. And I would say that that meeting set a gold standard for me in my mind about what at least an initial meeting with a safe dom is like. And I would say also it could have been even more formal. Like there was no kink worksheet, but also I think what I really liked about it is I have experienced some tops since who identify as doms, but I don't think they are doms, they are tops because they're like, well, what would you like to do? And while it's important that both people be on the same page, as someone who identifies as a submissive, not just a bottom, I am looking for a dominant partner who can hold space for me, who's able to say, here's what I'm looking for. Would you like to serve? You know, and if we line up that way, great. If I have to like make all the decisions, I would rather be in the top position giving a bottom pleasure personally. Maybe that will change. I'm open to that evolving. I know that especially in the rope situations I've encountered so far, you know, I don't know, tops and bottoms are always serving each other, right? Ideally, because it's a reciprocal relationship, like a power exchange is an exchange. But I think what I was looking for then, what I'm looking for right now, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm trying to like find something that's the same shape. I'm open to morphing, but I'm also just, there's early patterning, right? From the time we're a baby, from the time we have our early adolescent experiences. Like I'm open to shifting. I believe that my desires are, I mean, I know they're ever changing, but anyway, what I discovered about myself in that time with him, mm, impact play. I love it. Many types, floggers and paddles and hands. And what else did I get hit with? Spoons, many different types of paddles, different types of floggers, canes. Oh, canes are so mean. I would get really scared. He had this tiny little skinny switch. We didn't do all of this at once. This was over the course of a four and a half-ish year total relationship. He introduced me to sensation play, ice, electro play, like feather stuff, hot wax. He would put chains in the freezers. My mom found my chain in the freezer once and she was like, oh, 
you have a chain leash? And I was like, <gasps> and my sister was there and changed the subject. And I grabbed it. And I was like, I couldn't think of anything to say. I was like, huh. I just like walked away with it. We tried figging, which is chemical sensation play. So you take a ginger root, make sure that it's not going to go up your butt. I guess you could also do it on the vaginal membranes. Anywhere there's a membrane, it'll be pretty intense, spicy, gingery. We shaved it and, you know, it creates quite an intense sensation. And then we coconut oiled me up afterward. That was really hot. And it's also, you know, with him that I realized I'd always known that I loved taking care of people. Like I have a nurturing streak, but I thought it was just because like, I like to do a good job. I like to, you know, I love nurturing people. When I was a bartender, I loved making sure that they had water. I also loved wearing slutty clothes. And when I was a cocktail server, like moving through the crowd and touching people and being like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And like, you know, I guess looking back on it, I'm like, mm, maybe I'm a bad example because I definitely got grabbed in that crowd, but never in like fingers up my butt way, just sort of like on the hips, maybe around the ass. And I loved it because I was like, well, I'm just doing my job. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And, um, you know, then once I was behind the bar, I had a big barrier. So I would dress even sluttier with push-up bras and that led to some interesting stuff. You know, so as I look at these things, I'm like, oh, she was always circling. Oh, and she became an actor. The most socially acceptable way that you can like sell yourself. How interesting. In this time where many of us, even if we're doing very safe for work stuff on social media, you know, the main message is like, sell yourself. What's your brand? In service, I learned how much I love deep throating. I love having someone who not only wants to use all of my holes, but who takes their time with each one. I loved how much he appreciated himself and I loved how much he was enjoying himself. I loved that because I could see him like lay back, lean back, oh, we fucked a lot on this couch, and relax and enjoy himself. I too could like really get into whatever I was doing without worrying about like, does he like it? Did I do this long enough? Is this a good move? Is that a good move? Does that feel good to him? Like he would just enjoy and he would tell me if he wanted something different. And I loved the degradation. I loved the conscious, explicit, on purpose degradation that we initially had negotiated. I love getting called filthy names. I loved how he would point out all the slutty things I loved doing. I loved how he would hold down my head. Like he knew that I loved being contained and squeezed very tightly and like held and he learned how much pressure I liked in all of these different places. And afterwards, you know, after sessions, I would kind of like debrief with him and send him emails about the things that I kept thinking of. And I love how much he, more than any partner I'd ever met, have ever met, delighted in my slutty, pervy, whorish self. And I felt deep acceptance. Also, anally. Lots of anal acceptance. I felt such safety and love, like giving and receiving all of my holes. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about becoming a butt slut and just the way he would tease my asshole, the way he would use different plugs with me throughout the session. He even gave me a couple of enemas, which like, I was always just kind of up for anything if it felt not, not anything. Like there was definitely stuff where I would be like, oh, I am nervous about that concept, you know, and he would take stuff really slow and make sure that I was like really turned on to the idea before we would bring anything in for the most part. And it was especially with anal stuff that I realized that is when I love to be used most roughly. And I would really, really get off on him saying the most degrading words to me while ass-fucking me. Like, that's when I really wanted him to call me a whore and call me his anal whore and say that, like, I serve him with all my holes and, like, I'm an anal slut. I'm a blah, blah, blah. You know, like, early on, he gave me a lot of that. And then 
later on in our relationship, I would have to prompt him sometimes. Like, I think he was just kind of like, you know, the later parts of our relationship often had kinky-ish cuddle fucks more than anything. And so I would have to really, really like be like, am I this? Am I that? Tell me this. Or I would just like say what it was. I would say what I wanted to hear. And he would catch on and, and say stuff. And I, I really just love how he, especially at the beginning, would create these beautiful arcs, these beautiful warm-ups, these beautiful scenes. Like, they really were scenes. He was a writer. He's great. And uh, I loved getting used. I loved when he got me my cage 10 months in. We even did a little bit of piss play, which was definitely near my edge. And that's when we tried some of it in my mouth. And I have swallowed. <laughs> and yeah, we did it with varying degrees of preparation. And it's definitely not something I would want to do every single session. Like it's something that I would want to keep extra super degrading for all the time. Like I think when we were at the height of our dynamic, it felt really, really good. We definitely didn't do stuff like that as we sort of started to slip. But yeah, he spoiled me with attention and he made me feel more closely paid attention to more special than anyone else ever had or has since. And we reached what felt like, to me, transcendent heights of pleasure. Like, I felt connected to source, connected to everything. I want everyone to have it. And every time he introduced a new idea to me, he, we would, like, talk it up in fantasy until we were, like, ready to bring it into reality. And he would bring me toys and books and little gifts, like, you know, and each of these things took on this kind of secondary extra special meaning. So I felt like my whole life was glowing with this turn on energy. And then every time I got a message or an email or something or, you know, a dirty blah, blah, blah. And, and after he would leave, I would just like effusively be like, this is what I love about, you know, and we had one very perfect year of sex, which I journaled extensively about and I'm working on getting properly published. And then he and I did have a couple of threesomes and went to one sex party and they were weird. They weren't terrible but they were overall weird like it was like he changed or like our dynamic shifted and like he was different or there, there was some energy thing that I like I don't know what it was and I really wanted to please him I really wanted to please him in front of other people you know the threesome that we had with another lady where she was wearing a fieldo and I did get you know that's the dp I have had but I just haven't had it with two live cocks that was really fun but our container around it I thought we had been clear about it and then we weren't. So lots of learnings. And then like, I mean, we brought babes into our relationship, but also then that's when I started going to dungeon parties and like trying to meet kinky people. And I met this very hot, awesome kinky couple. And I had a threesome with them that was sanctioned by him. And that was great. But then it led to jealousy issues. And it's also the first time that I got like massive amounts of bruises and I was so proud. And then, yeah, so there was jealousy. There were breakups. He and I both had like lots of difficult stuff happen in our own lives. So the next three and a half years after that perfect first year were pretty bumpy. And it was also after that first breakup that I realized and then would proceed to realize again and again and again what a big, dumb, stupid idea that it was to like build a podcast based on like being inspired by this sexual relationship and talking about him so much and so effusively especially in those first few months of sex stories being like well my master this well my master that like to this day I get messages from people who have started at the beginning of the pod don't realize that years have elapsed since those initial episodes and then they'll be like you know asking me questions about my master in present tense and I'm like no no, no that relationship doesn't exist anymore so yeah, overlapping that relationship, I did try a little bit of regular dating. Like, this is years after the sugar stuff, kind of like a phase two. This is my 30s now. And like, yeah, 
I had a guy who was like into rope, but he he wasn't. He tied up my wrists and then very lazy fucked me and then like scrolled through Instagram, told me jokes. That was a strange one. But he also took me to my first sex party and that was really hot. But then he didn't want to fuck me there. So there were, again, lots of ups and downs. And I met another sweetie who was like a newer dom and he was exploring stuff. And we had a couple hot sessions together, but he wanted more of a relationship than I did. And so we just had a clear communication about it. We went on a couple great adventures that were full of turn on and he did some like erotic photography of me and I had a lot of fun just like serving him and I was like okay there's hope like I can serve other people this could be great yeah and then I ended up fucking another guy with a huge cock who was great until his girlfriends got mad and told him to stop seeing me even though they were in open relationships so like that has happened and then there was the lover who was the quote-unquote daddy dom and we had really hot sex but it wasn't hot enough to get throat herpes and he's the one that did not take good care of me you know it's one of those things where it's like I met him on a dating site but like we had worked together a decade prior and I was like oh a safe person a safe person who I kind of know they're probably safer and so yeah I really should have just been tipped off when I had to have multiple health and safety conversation iterations like I should never have to be like no we're still using condoms like that should not be a question so you know learning and then there was COVID dating. My first attempt was a very cute guy. Like, I liked him. And this is, maybe I should have realized that I was not quite neurotypical at this point, but kind of a drama queen. Like, he was very, you know, he would tell me a lot of, like, my friend said this and then the other friend said that. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, is this normal in a relationship? Like, maybe people care about this stuff. But we had a great physical connection. He was, like, easy to hang out with. And he seemed safe, <laughs> like, COVID safe at the time. And then he got weird and couldn't really clearly communicate about it. But he did his best, actually. He did a good job. He was like, I think there are some gaps. And I, it took me a minute to figure out that he was saying, this isn't working for me. You're not quite what I'm looking for. I'm like, clear communication would have been better. But, you know, whatever. We're all doing our best. And then after that, I dated another dude who we had fun physical connection. He was another musician and played jazz piano, like, beautifully. And so I'd like come over and like lay and he would like play for me and he like really loved the praise of all of it. And he was like very excited to be with, you know, he was like, oh, you're like a sexual genius. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. Like, I'm not. I just interview people. He's like, yeah, but you've learned so much. You can teach me. I was like, no, I'm not a teacher. Like, I'm a submissive. And like, it's okay if we're not having a kink dynamic, but like, I'm not a teacher. And then once we had sex, he was like, you've healed me sexually. And like, I was like, I don't know what you think is wrong with you, but like you seem fine. Like you don't seem broken. And then he started calling me a sexual Sherpa and was then encouraging me to have as much sex with as many people as possible because I'm a sexual healer. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, you should go be a surrogate. Like, do you know, he was on the one hand, very complimentary in certain ways. I also am now researching programs and I think I found a surrogate program I want to apply to. And he was very hot and cold. And in the cold times, he was sometimes extremely mean and, dare I say, verbally abusive. I seemed to attract narcissists. So things ended shortly after he told me that he got weirded out when we had sex because he felt like he was fucking a little boy. I am embarrassed to admit I didn't end things immediately after that, but it was very close to the end. <laughs> One of the final straws. So all of that is to say, like, that was kind of what was happening as my master and I were on and off again. Former master and I were on and off again. And I was exploring so much and learning so much. And I also felt what it was like to get my trust broken a lot. And I also felt what it was like to have someone be like, I'm fucking this podcaster girl. And I'm like, I'm not even that famous. Like, you know, I experienced sub drop for the first time. I experienced stuff that wasn't great. I felt like my former master still really wanted me, but also started to resent me. 
and I didn't realize that a first kink relationship can leave this deep, deep imprint. You know, it also, how often do we meet someone who happens to share so many of our everyday life interests we like talking to, we think is cute, and have like amazing, perfect, transcendent sexual compatibility? I don't know. I have only met one so far. I believe that many others probably exist, but like the sifting process takes energy and I am busy working, trying to make sexy stuff. Also why I'm very excited about putting my bucket list out there. Anyway, I was having a hard time meeting new people. The more I learned about sex, the more the podcast grew. I now think I have a better understanding of why I have been in the last few years so ineffective at regular dating on apps. I think I am scaring people by giving them too much information right off the bat. I'm learning to like kind of drip feed and be like, here's who I am. I'm a safe, nice person. Part of that has to do with like how much I've learned about consent because I need to give them enough information so that they can have agency to make a fully consensual choice, obviously. So I'd be like, hello, I have a sex podcast and I really like my work and I'm, you know, very literal in my communication. And, you know, it's just a lot. It was a lot at the beginning. And because I've focused so much on communication and sex and relationship patterns over the past, mm, uh, yeah, let's see, starting with the pickup artist when I was 25, over the past eight years, I've kind of been doing deep focused dives on these topics. The pool of dominance is already small feeling. And I truly have not gone to enough in-person events to find the kinky lovers of my dreams, but that is changing this year. But basically there's been this funny dynamic where like, I'm looking for someone who can hold space for me and I am in the teaching position, and in my personal life, that's exhausting. Like, in my public life, in my professional life, I love teaching people. Like, I love being compensated for teaching, but for everyday stuff, there's got to be mutual give and take, and when I'm getting fucked, I really just want to, like, relax and zone out and have someone who can, like, facilitate that for me. It was also in the summer of 2021 that I read a romance novel that I never would have picked out myself, but one of my friends insisted that I read it. She said that she thought I would identify a lot with the main character. She did not mention that this book, The Kiss Quotient by Helen, I think you say her last name, Wong, is about a woman with Asperger's, which is a diagnosis that has not been officially used since 2013 and has simply been folded into the more broad autism spectrum disorder, which like I very much resent that word disorder, like just because a brain is not typical does not mean it's disordered. And I think that's a problem with a lot of our diagnoses. Anyway, through seeing myself represented in a story in that way, I a lot started to make sense for the first time. And I had a little identity crisis and meltdown. And I spent a day on the floor crying and feeling really, really, really stupid that I hadn't put all the pieces together before because literally several handfuls of people since the time I was 20 had asked me if I was on the spectrum. And I would just laugh and be like, I don't know, people ask me that a lot. Like, <laughs> I guess I should learn more about it. Maybe, probably. I do get along really well with autistic people. And so, and these were like family members, like a couple people that I dated who had just been diagnosed, a former assistant who went on to study psychology. Like it was a lot of people. And it was only after reading that book that I started asking my friends, hey, uh, how often do people like ask you if you're autistic? And I found myself shocked that their answers were, uh, never? <laughs> I guess I had created a story in my brain that it was just like another funny human social pleasantry or some sort of like tease that was part of a polite exchange. And I realized that probably, obviously, I am one of the many unidentified females born before the mid-90s who are 
undiagnosed on the autism spectrum because there's been a whole thing where like they only looked at like how autism looked in boys for a while. And so that's kind of like when people think about it. And oh, also, this is the thing. When I started sharing this with people, they're like, not you. Couldn't be you, you know. So I'm like, I don't know, people. It makes a lot of sense. I'm not ugly. I'm pretty nice. I'm genuinely well-intentioned. I'm very horny. I historically have been sexually and socially rejected a lot. And instead of getting bored asking people a series of repetitive questions over and over again on my favorite topic, I get lit up, inspired, and it's also caused me to broaden my research and has turned me from a mere artist into an entrepreneurial pleasure activist, but also still an artist. And it hasn't really made me better at interpersonal relationships in my personal life. I've gotten a lot better in terms of sexual skills, and that continues to grow, grow, grow. Yeah, since then I've read a bunch of books, including textbooks, on autism, and sure enough, the identifiers for females are very different from the ones for dudes. So suddenly, a lot of my life clicked into place and makes sense with all the sensory stuff I enjoy and all the sensory stuff that, like, is tough for me. And it really wasn't until the most formative sexual partner in my life, my teacher, my muse, my beloved former master, was storming off for good after shouting something along the lines of like, you're probably not even autistic, but there's definitely something wrong with you that I truly realized that I was not in a good relationship. And he has since apologized for that stuff. And looking back, I understand that he was dealing with a lot of his own very complicated emotional stuff that I did not quite clock. And that entire relationship, that whole experience, has really helped me learn that I pretty much need words and explicit communication and often lots of clarification to deeply understand the internal world of another person. And this is why I think I love doing kinky things with him in the first place, because we had this container of a dynamic that was so strong. We had amazing clarity, and a lot of it was in the form of that fantasy and dirty talk that turned into concrete plans. And it wasn't until we reached the point where I like couldn't tell the difference between what was going to stay in fantasy and what was like a quote-unquote real thing or was going to become real that I saw that our communication really took a turn for the not helpful, you know, so stuff slipped and I just didn't know what was happening. And I also have kind of a genius pattern tracking brain. After talking to hundreds of you in the course of sex stories, the fact that is underlined is that I can make pretty good guesses about human behaviors based on the patterns if I have all of the relevant information. But what I'm learning now is most people, especially when it comes to sex and relationships, are busy sneakily hiding very key pieces of information because of their own shame or their fear of judgment or whatever. So knowing what someone is truly feeling for me requires specific, focused follow-up questions, usually. And often some amount of patience, unless the other person is also the type that requires and enjoys specific, focused follow-up questions. And I've learned that oftentimes those questions outside the context of a clear container where I'm like, I'm playing a game where you tell me personal things and I pay really close attention and ask good questions about it. Outside of sex stories, when I ask my brilliant questions, I do not get praised. I get attacked. People are like, what? You think you're judging me? You know, and so I'm shifting that pattern. I've gained so much awareness. And there was another layer looking back that perhaps led to that final upset on that final day in that up and down, wonderful, very learning-filled relationship, I was about to go off on a big, sexy adventure, the adventure of my dreams, to explore what was, in my mind back then, just over a year ago, a very taboo desire 
that I had longed for and dreamed of since I was 14, but I had only spoken aloud to a handful of people ever for fear of extreme social judgment. And I thought that I had his support, and I think maybe I did. I, I really can't tell, you know, who knows what he was thinking on that day. And I even thought he had encouraged it with his total acceptance of my slutty, pervy, deviant self. Like, I thought I had support. I think I was misreading the signals. Who knows? So, I hope to see him at least once more before we die. And while there are still days where I get really sad and absolutely miss what we had, I'm also really, really, really excited to find that level of pervy compatibility with someone who could, I don't know, maybe be a life partner. I really have a big fantasy about mixing my work life and personal life together. And, you know, I don't know how to put that in a job description or in a dating profile, but I sort of just feel like in my perfect world, I will find someone who loves how slutty I am who wants me to go out and cross off all my bucket list items and then who wants to reclaim me and is like proud of me and loves how hungry I am both for knowledge, both for my desire to help people and for my desire to pursue my own desires. And hopefully I can find someone where there's an overlap in those desires. And I am still and suspect I will always be super duper grateful for having that relationship in my life because I never would have met or interviewed or been inspired by interview out there if I had not found someone to have sex with me so consistently for so many years in such amazingly delicious, exploration-filled, compatible ways. And it was through that experience that I finally got to see kind of the outlines, the edges of my total sexual self, which I am now working on filling in the gaps of. In the last two years especially, I have also continued to learn more and more about how my desires and my priorities really seem to differ from a lot of the social expectations and assumptions of like regular people, at least on dating apps. I don't know that LA is a good barometer for normal, but I have come to the conclusion that I also have a work kink. Perhaps more accurately, I have a sex work kink. I think about acting and slutty bartending and working with the pickup artists and now this podcast and I'm like wow I've really just been like scratching around the edges I finally made my first porno last October with a like OnlyFans Bay I would do some stuff differently this next time but I do think my former master really was an inspirational muse for me for several years I got so turned on every time we fucked I just wanted to go shout about it to the whole wide world because I want every single one of you out there to feel as good in partnership with another person as I have. I know not all of you want to, and I'm not pushing it on you. Let me be very clear. Whatever your version of transcendence is, I, I want that for all of us, for anyone who wants it. And this podcast exists because of that extreme level of turn-on that I experienced. And you know, he would always dangle the idea of us making content together and then sharing it, which turned me on so much. Like, that was some of the dirty talk. He would be like, hmm, people are going to watch our porn. And I'd be like, yes, please. And I really thought, I don't know, I didn't know until after the fact that that was perhaps all in fantasy for him. I don't know. He was my muse in a really intense way that I have gotten snippets of sense. Oftentimes, for, I mean, you know who you are. You play ship inspirers. Everyone who talks to me, everyone who asks me questions, like, you're all feeding me in these delicious, delicious ways. But I have not had a consistent partner since him. And the origin story of my most taboo desire, when I was 14, I was on an orchestra trip in the UK, lugging my cello around the UK, and I got to see Les Mis in London. And if you are familiar with that musical, there is a song in it called Lovely Ladies, and it's a bunch of prostitutes singing, and I wanted to be one. 
Of course, I understood that that was only a thing, based on the play, someone should do if they had no other choice. The story made it very clear. I mean, back then I knew nothing about sex, but the older I got, I still had this kind of like idea in my head. But for so long, I was like, well, I'm not even good at sex. I couldn't even do that degrading thing. And because I had these interesting pockets of very high and very low self-worth, because I was, I'm very confident in many of my skills. I'm like, oh yes, I can create an anything start to finish. You just tell me like, so I had these pockets of high and low self-worth. I was so used to getting rejected sexually. I also figured that I did not have value in that way. But now my sexual confidence is extremely high. And I am in many ways just at the start of actually formally growing many of my skills. But I know energetically how to hold a container. I am getting increasingly awesome at partner selection and making sure that I'm only saying yes to people where it's going to be awesome for both of us in any context. And if any of you listened to the man horror bonus episode in February 2021, it was on Billy Proceda's podcast. It was during my interview with Billy that he pointed out to me that posting nudes on OnlyFans probably counts as sex work to most people. And I was like, <sighs> and that led me down the rabbit hole trying to understand what counts as sex work. And like, is sharing my erotic details for free on sex stories? Does that count? And then once I started getting advertisers, wait, so am I a sex worker now? Or like, I didn't really make a whole lot of money. And in fact, I spent more money creating the podcast than I ever made. So am I just a really dumb, am I an accidental sex worker who's very stupid? Because I don't understand the social game. So that's what led me down the rabbit hole of, well, why am I not going all the way? What is stopping me? And it was a couple weeks later that I got COVID for the first time. And I was extremely miserable for a couple weeks. And it was during those couple weeks of being extremely miserable and sick and exhausted that I just stopped doing anything that I really, truly did not want to be doing. I also discovered this podcast called AOD, which Jessa Reed, she's my bae, love her. Go check it out. If you, it's very funny. It's eighth dimensional galactic being coming down to earth explaining human stuff to humans like that shifted a lot of things in me and just helped me like laugh and really examine my own desires and because of that I decided that no matter what I needed to make a list of things that I actually want to do in life and then go do them and I wanted to initiate instead of waiting around for other people to want to do stuff with me or to grant me permission so this is when and why Sex at Work began, and then this is also when and why it paused so quickly, and it's coming back in April as professional sex stories. Sex is my number one very deep special interest. It took me, like, like it literally wasn't until last year that I was like, do I even have any special interest? Oh, this thing that I've turned my whole life into. <laughs> um, but again, I've mixed together my personal and professional life in this very deep way that everyone warns against, but I'm like, I literally wouldn't want it any other way. So I love learning about it. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. I love talking to other people who want to noodle on sexy stuff with me. I love hearing your details. I love seeing the way it affects people. I love hearing what people love. I love celebrating that. And I'm very curious about the conscious and unconscious impulses that come from it. And I have a very strong drive to help other people understand their own sexual desires and encourage them. And that is only growing inside of me. Like, I love hearing people's hopes for the future. I love them so much. So I fully intended 
to spend a few years interviewing sexual professionals and really learning the lay of the land solidly before diving into any of my dreams. And at this point, I was also struggling to find safe and consistent sexual partners. Things with my former master were in an off period. I think we were still talking, but there was a lot of offness. And I decided to sleep with another cutie friend who was down to mingle but was not looking for anything serious. He'd just gotten out of a relationship a few months ago. And he stealthed me. And stealthing, if you don't know, means removing a condom without the partner's consent, knowledge, or awareness. It is now illegal in California. This was a few weeks before that vote took place. And we had had health and safety conversations multiple times that I initiated. So I was like, well, fuck. And it was not long after that that I was connecting with a girlfriend who had also dabbled on sugar daddy websites. Though she was, by comparison, much more successful in the material senses. And we connected over our money kink, especially the idea of using that money to make more beautiful, sexy art that would hopefully inspire other people to go follow their own desires and let go of judgment. And I told this friend about the research that I had been doing on legal brothels, starting with the woman I'd stayed with in Las Vegas in 2014 when I shot an indie film there. And this host had told me about a book, Legal Tender, and I was almost done with it. And I read to my friend some of the very inspiring, titillating passages. And I told her my dream of becoming a madam by the time I'm 50, and the research that I wanted to do between now and then. And I told her about the brothels that I had researched, and the one that seemed like the classiest. And the next day, she told me that she had applied to live out my wildest dream. So, if you want to hear the details of my experiences deep dive researching the land of brothels for the last year and a half, and if you want to hear how that led to my 25 clone characters all exploring different aspects of the hierarchy, and if you want to be along for the ride as I cross off my erotic bucket list items and hopefully turn them into tasteful, erotic, porn, anything that I do end up making will find its way in divine timing to all the slutty fan sites and erotic profiles that I am working on, and whether professional or personal, if you are also on a journey of embracing your own sexual desires, especially in the face of judgment, I hope you join me. Details are on patreon.com slash creation place. That's also where I'm going to be sharing my hopes for the future, and this episode is so long that, like, the specific details of all the rest of my answers that I didn't get to, we're going to do that in the deep dive live. So, if I could go back in time and give younger me the sex talk I never had, I would say, one, getting rejected is normal. It's okay. I do have the pickup artist to thank for that one. Two, just because getting rejected is normal does not mean you should expect to get rejected. You're very acceptable. Three, look for people who want to play the same way you do. Four, if you explode people, it might be because they are boundary pushers. Or it might just be a miscommunication. Five, do your best to listen deeply to others without interrupting within reason. If you're really confused, ask a question after they are done talking. If they are talking for more than a couple minutes without stopping, interrupt, ask the question, save yourself. Six, people who initiate thorough health and safety conversations are very hot. Seven, if you find yourself constantly needing to reassert your health and safety boundaries with a partner, 
That's probably one that's either going to give you throat herpes or stealth you. Eight, to dismiss your own beauty is to dismiss others' appreciation of you. Nine, you are perfect as is right now. Accepting and loving yourself as is does not stop you from growing in the directions you want. It helps you get there faster and with more pleasure, more delight, and more appreciation for everything and everyone that is around you. Ten, you are in this human body such a short time. It goes really fast. Please enjoy as much of it as you possibly can. Lovers, thank you for joining me for three seasons of sex stories. More to come.